1: Join the conversation.
2: Join the conversation.
0: You're with
2: Kid Talk.
1: 26 minutes to 10. It is a Friday, which means it is that time where we link up with the naked scientist, the one and only Chris. How are you doing, brother?
0: You hey, good morning. Good
1: I'm morning. good. How are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Of course, the opportunity that um, everybody has been waiting for to ask you all sorts of amazing questions. Chris, I've got a personal one that I'd like to just uh, throw in there and take advantage of it, right? Go for it. I mentioned on the show earlier this week that I've been struggling with mosquitoes and there's a whole lot of home remedies to eliminate mosquitoes instead of using like an insect insect, uh, spray. What is the most effective way to just deal with mosquitoes naturally in your home in the middle of the night?
2: The best way would be to not live where there are mosquitoes, uh, and that is really (laughs) tough, but it's the only way, really. They're incredibly successful creatures, and there are thousands of species of them around the world, and they are the most dangerous animal in the world. If you ask people, what's the most dangerous animal in the world? They say snakes and spiders and things like that. It's not. It's mosquitoes. They account for more illness, ill health, and death than any other creature because of course they spread loads of diseases they're a vector and some some people call them a flying hypodermic needle they are really well equipped to hunt us down and the way they do that is that they're sensitive to smell they can smell us and one of the most potent triggers for them is the carbon dioxide that we breathe out they are also sensitive to temperature and they know where there is a heat source that's probably a living thing which has got blood in it they can drink so therefore... Mm. Uh, the the mosquito is going to find you if it's in your house it's going to find you best way to deal with them is to either stop them getting in the house and stop them getting where you are in the house and that's why bed nets are really really important and really really helpful where there are malarious areas insecticides which are safe which you can spray around inside the house can be really good and really useful under certain circumstances and the other thing to bear in mind is look at the environment you'd be surprised how many people forget themselves and they leave breeding areas outside their house, pots of water, water butts, tanks Mm. outside, which fill with water, and then the mosquitoes breed in them. And in places where things like yellow fever and dengue are a major problem, for instance, in South America and Brazil, there are people who are going round actually inspecting houses to look for people who've made these mistakes. And in some cases, they're fined for doing it because this is such a problem and it's so easy to remedy. So there you go. There's a range of things you can do. Try to minimise the amount of breeding opportunities for your mosquitoes. Try to keep them out of the house. Try to keep them out of the bit of the house you're in. And you can do that with physical barriers, but you can also use chemical barriers and also insecticide impregnated bed nets if you end up going somewhere or visiting somewhere, which you know Mm. to be a a mosquito heaven, as it were, especially if there's uh, malaria in that area all right that makes a whole lot of sense
1: uh, we are of course with the naked scientist chris smith as well. us give us a call 21 or send us a whatsapp voice note um, or text on oh seven two five six seven one five six seven. we do have a question via voice note do we johannes
2: i could get so i hear you talking to the naked scientist about uh,
1: mosquitoes and what to do in the most natural etc
2: <clears throat> just to give you a
1: tip if you're in the wild or camping or away, and you have no way of uh, protecting yourself against mosquitoes. What you can do if you're lucky enough to get your hands onto a tomato, you just take the tomato, put it, slice it up into as many slices as you can, and put it uh, in a container on each side of your bed or your campsite or your cot because tomato is natural stranella and that'll keep the mosquitoes away uh, for quite some time. Cheers. Tomato, Chris. Wow, that's Does a that good tip, sense?
2: isn't it? That's really good. That's I like that one. I'm going to try that. Yeah, I I, I didn't
1: even know that tomatoes got citronella. No, because me when it comes no, to no flies, it's a new one on me. That's uh, great. When it comes to flies, I know that I use citronella candles, and that, that that takes away the flies. But we've got more voice notes.
2: What is the science behind when you're cooking on a stove of
1: gas? You will find that on the one side of the gas stove the pot will always tend to burn more on that side than the other part of the pot.
2: Most people are using a gas cooker for obvious sensible reasons in a well-ventilated area. So if your cooker is in a draft, because of course when you've got the cooker alight, it's creating convection currents, the hot air and gas fumes are rising, so they're pulling in fresh air from the side to supply that burner, and also replace the hot air that's rising. So you will have a draft, and the side of the cooker that is facing the area that's that's actually in that draft, from your ventilation or whatever, is going to be a bit cooler than the side which is away from that source. Uh, so it could well be that part of the disequilibrium is that there is a cooling effect naturally by the air on one side, and a warming on the other. Also, if you've got a a, re, a range surface where you've got a range of burners sitting there, then you'll have a side of the pot which is closest to another burner and its own burner, whereas you'll have a, the opposite side of the pot will be facing the room. So there mm. will be a bit more heat if you've got the whole thing alight going into one side of your pots compared to the other. And it may well be that it's that centre zone which has got sides of pots which are closest to two burners compared to just one, which are feeling a bit more heat, and they may therefore go to an over-temperature and cause a greater likelihood of burning just my speculations and if anyone knows better do let me know but that seems to me the most obvious thing
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense a question from brian chris asking why is it when you are bursting for a pee the feeling gets more intense the closer you get near to the toilet and why does whistling (laughs) exacerbate it (laughs)
2: Uh, Brian, good morning. I've had exactly this thing, as have other people who listen to The Naked Scientists and have written to me about this. So it seems to be a common phenomenon. All of them, though, are men. So it seems to be something that uh, affects us men more than anybody. Maybe it's because we're tempted, because we're so busy doing other things, we are terrible at making time to actually go to the loo until it's an emergency. But uh, no, one guy in Australia wrote to me and said, why is it I can hold my, hold myself, for, you know, hold it in for hours on a long car trip, but that last about 30 seconds having arrived home between the front door and the toilet is excruciating. This is a classic case of mind over bladder, brain mm. over bladder. You have in your spinal cord a set of nerve cells that control the muscle in the wall of your bladder and the sphincter muscle that keeps the bladder closed, stops things coming out. And when you want to go to the loo, you open up the sphincter and turn on the bladder muscle. To keep the urine in, you do the opposite. To do the opposite, there's a reflex there which is automatic but there's also strong pressure from your brain. Your brain can also exert control. That's why if you're having a wee, you can stop weeing in the middle of your wee voluntarily. And so when you are knowing, I cannot get to a loo, you put much more brain input onto your bladder saying, relax the muscle and tighten up the sphincter. As you get near the loo and you know that your goal is in sight and you're and your one thing that's on your mind is about to be sorted out, that weakens. You're preparing mentally for the fact you're going to be going in a minute. And as you prepare Mm. yourself mentally, anticipating that the the toilet is there, I'm going to have a wee... As you get close, your brain begins to ease off on its relaxation and close up the sphincter messages and starts to turn on the contract the bladder and ease off the sphincter messages. And that, unfortunately, has the effect of making the sensation and the urge to go become more intense, more noticeable, and you feel like you almost couldn't hold it in. And so it, it's it's all about psychology and the descending control of your bladder, which is is under voluntary control, driven by the stimulus I'm almost at the toilet. I need to prepare to go for a wee.
1: Why is it, Chris, just to add on to that, when the moment comes when you finally have relief, why do you you tear up and almost have like an emotional (laughs) moment there, where you're tearing up and the release is so good that you you, you feel a little bit emo, at least your eyes water? (laughs) I thought
2: you were going to say something else, which is why is it that uh, having been desperate to go, the moment arrives and you can't? And there is a right. phenomenon which is called bashful bladder. And anyone who's ever stood in a row of urinals, especially at a service station or something, knows oh, no. that when, if you're there on your own, you're fine. But the minute someone stands there next to you, it takes a good 30 seconds longer <laughs> to get started. It all sometime. sounds
1: really psychological. It sounds and it's, it's psychological. all
2: psychological because, you know, blokes, blokes are having a peeing contest. When they're standing next to each other, you're thinking, oh, uh, I feel really nervous now because if I take ages to start going, it's going to be embarrassing and anything embarrassing immediately stops all your bodily functions. So it's, it's partly that. I think probably your reaction when you think, oh, my goodness, I've finally got to, I'm in Nirvana. I've got to the loo and I'm going. I think mm-hmm. that's probably accounts for your emotion. But, you know, the other, <laughs> point, the other point is that the same part of the nervous system that pr- produces those emotional outflowings, your parasympathetic nervous system is also involved in turning on the uh, urination reflex. So it could well be that in you, when you have such a surge of of automatic nerve activity to get you weeing, having not had the chance to do so previously, that it also activates some of these, it spills over into some of these other emotional circuits and produces some of the other effects of that part of the nervous system as well. A question from
1: Jocelyn saying, can you please explain why some generic medications have a different effect even though the ingredients are the same. Both ingredient list and pharmacists say the same. So one makes me nauseous and the other doesn't. The one is a tablet and the other is a capsule. Could this make a difference?
2: Hi, Jocelyn. People have looked at this because there is a whole bunch of marketing that goes on around generic drugs versus named brands. And in fact, a number of named brands have found themselves in hot water with regulators and regulatory authorities for making claims that they just can't make because their tablet contains an identical preparation to a generic brand, half the price. And it's a massive dose of psychology and marketing. And if you're taking the molecule, a molecule is a molecule, and a molecule a drug molecule manufactured to good manufacturing practice, which is inner preparation, which is otherwise identical, will work identically. And there is no grounds, apart from psychological ones, for saying, this drug will work better than this drug. We think that a lot of this is because when you pay a lot more for something, or you buy a known brand that you've learned works for you, this healthy helping of psychology and the placebo effect kicks in and if you ask people how satisfied they are with something if they've paid more for it they often say they're more satisfied with it than for something that they didn't realize was identical that they paid less for because they expect a better outcome with something more expensive and so i think that that is certainly part of it now you also go on to mention different types of preparation and that means we might not be treating horses with courses or apples and apples comparisons here so we have to be a bit cautious some preparations are specially made in order to deliver their drug at a certain point in the intestine to be kind to the stomach or to maximize the 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 absorption of that chemical and minimize its accidental off-target breakdown by say stomach acid so it's very important that you do actually compare horses with courses here and it may well be that if you have got the same drug but it's in a different preparation which has been optimised to deliver it to a, the, the intestine at a certain place in time, that may well affect the kinetics of how well absorbed it is and the rate at which it gets into the bloodstream. But when it comes down to identical preparations that differ in all by name, there is no difference, and you should, and I always do, use the generic form, which is an identical molecule, as long as it's been manufactured to the same good medical uh, practice standards you will be absolutely fine with that and it will work identically it's just the placebo effect that's that's making the difference
1: that makes a whole lot of sense a question asking why does petrol create a rainbow effect when in contact with water
2: well actually not just petrol but if you've put your frying pan in the washing up water and put water onto your frying pan after you've just used it, you'll see that the oil that was there from your cooking also produces a rainbow effect. And the reason this happens is because when, wa- when petrol or oil gets onto water, it's less dense than water, and just as wood is less dense than water and floats, the oil, when it's in the water, floats. But oil is lots of molecules that are long chains of atoms stuck together, and when it floats on the water, it doesn't just make a single film, which is one oil molecule thick. In some places in the oil film, there will be quite thin oil layers with only one or two chains of molecules spread out on the water. In other places, it will be stacked up, quite a thick layer, multiple oil layers on the water. And this means that you have different surfaces. And when light comes in, it goes into the oil layer and some bounce off the oil layer at a certain distance and others bounce off at a different distance. Now, when they bounce off in this way, what happens is a process called interference. Some light has made a longer journey than other light because it's gone through the oil film onto the water and bounced off, whereas other light waves have gone just onto the top layer of oil film and bounced off. And that difference in journey means that you get some places of bright light because of adding waves together and other places of darker light, less light, because they've cancelled each other out. And that produces the rainbow pattern that you see on the oil because it's different distances or thicknesses of oil in different places on the water film surface.
1: Johan asked a question uh, for you, Chris. If a young living adult donates a kidney to an older person and many years later the older person dies of something non-kidney related, can the original donor get
2: his kidney back Is it surgically viable? It could be, but it's unlikely. In the vast majority of cases, a transplanted organ of any type, whether it's a liver or a heart, a kidney, your intestines, you can do that too, because of the immunosuppression, in other words, turning off the immune system that you have to give to a person who's anybody other than your identical twin, because of those drugs, they are usually quite damaging to the organ And there's low-grade immune attack on the organ, despite those drugs, which has an artificial aging effect. So the transplanted organ will age faster than time is really ticking. So most transplanted organs do have a more limited lifespan than they would do in their original donor. That said, I was very lucky this summer, just gone, to have interviewed the person who's now in the Guinness Book of World Records, ...for world's longest surviving kidney transplant. I spoke to Angela. She had her kidney transplant done 50 years ago this summer in the UK. And she now lives in France with her husband. They've re- they're have they retired now. But in July, she stepped over that amazing milestone of having had her operation... ...and had her life completely changed when she had that kidney transplant from someone who died in a road traffic accident and the family very kindly volunteered the kidney of their young person who died and she as a young 20-something year old woman got this kidney and it was the most amazing wow. story and she's still going strong. So in her, she's done incredibly well and luckily the drugs have not led to her kidney that she received uh, disappearing from or functioning less well with time And it's possible that you could take a kidney that's still well-functioning like that from, from someone like Angela and put it back into its original owner, or you could put it into another person. But because that organ will have artificially aged over time, because its function will be diminishing more rapidly than normal, the person who gets it as a recipient wouldn't get the same lifetime out of it as if they'd had a fresh donation from someone with a fresh healthy kidney as it were so you probably Mm. could do it notwithstanding any infection risk and so on but you wouldn't get the same duration of benefit from the transplant most probably as if you got a young healthy fresh kidney and put that into somebody all right
1: a question from angie asking can you please give me more information about how a woman is harmed by using ozone therapy
2: well, anyone could be harmed by ozone because ozone is a reactive molecule of three oxygen atoms stuck together. And it's very reactive, it's very oxidising, it's very toxic. Uh, at the same time, it's incredibly r- essential for us here on Earth because, of course, at about 15 kilometres, starting at 15 kilometres up in the atmosphere, is an ozone layer. And that ozone layer fends off the ultraviolet rays in the sun. So we need the ozone up there high in the atmosphere but down here at the earth's surface if you make ozone which can happen in a variety of ways and various processes give rise to it because it's reactive it will uh, damage you if you breathe it in it's a part of what we call photochemical smog you get uh, ozone concentrations if you get uh, in in urban areas where there's industry and so on and it can actually be irritating to your eyes and nose and throat because Basically, it's a very reactive molecule and it also reacts with other things and, and soot particles in the air and produces other irritating chemicals. So I would steer clear of ozone, if possible, in the right places like the ozone layer or used as a disinfectant to clean a room. Very, very useful. Very, very safe if used appropriately. I wouldn't be breathing this in if I could avoid it. All
1: right, Thank you very much, Chris. Um, I can see now I've got I'm going to add on just one last question to to wrap. Um I've always wondered about this. So are you able to explain, you know, you know when you're sleeping, right? And you, you wake up like startled, like in a start. Um, yeah. uh, what, what happens there? Because it's almost like you get some sort of electric shock of some sort that jolts you awake.
2: Yeah, uh, this is called um, a hypnagogic hallucination. And hypnagogic means waking up from sleep hallucination you experience something that isn't really there and as you're coming awake again having been asleep your brain re-engages a range of different circuitry which it's turned off when you were sleeping the classic one is when you go to sleep a particular region in your brain stem called the subcerulea region turns off the majority of the movement signals that come from your brain and would normally go into your spinal cord and tell your muscles to move And that's done for good reason because if you don't have that region active then you're not paralysed properly when you sleep and you'll act out all your dreams and you'll thrash around, you'll go sleepwalking, you might do something that would harm yourself. So the brain turns off that flow of information down into your spinal cord when you're sleeping and as you're waking up it disengages that system and sometimes as it's disengaging the system before you've completely woken up again it sends a barrage of information down into the spinal cord and you get muscle jerks and you might suddenly jerk awake. And you also notice this as you're falling asleep, you get what are called hypnic jerks. You're falling asleep, but then suddenly you wake up with a start and then fall asleep again. Mm. It's exactly the same thing. It's that movement suppression system being engaged and disengaged as you're going into sleep or as you're waking up. And it's a good thing, but because it keeps you from falling out of bed. But it's a bad thing when it scares the life out of you, which it does sometimes, because it can go wrong and you can get something called sleep paralysis, where it doesn't turn off properly and you wake up in the middle of the night and you feel completely paralysed and you can't move properly. Uh, and you think, when, when, when am I going to be able to move again? And then you can, yeah, and it's all fine. Yeah, and that's yeah, the same circuit. Yeah.
1: All right. Appreciate you, Chris, as always. Thank you very
2: much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, everyone. Have a great weekend. See you next week